Welcome to Soul Forum. We're delighted to have you here for this series we're calling Soul Body. Each conversation in this second season takes us deeper into the experience of our own bodies, the collective body, the earth body, and even the cosmic body as we explore the way soul finds expression in our time. We hope what you discover along the way helps you journey a little deeper into your own soul body. Not every path we travel is paved with well-worn stone. Each of us knows there are tight turns, steep hills, major obstacles, and rough terrain along the way. In this episode, Dan reflects on his conversation with Marjorie. Her story takes an abrupt turn as both family and health challenges throw her into an experience of life she could not anticipate. What comes of such a turn? Where have you faced such moments? Where do they lead? We are, of course, uh, continuing in this sort of, uh, I would say it's sort of been a long journey. As we began the idea of soul body, I was um, reflecting that it is something that I'm not super familiar with. I have not tended over my lifetime to link sort of my spiritual journey intentionally anyway, to my own body's experience. And my guess is you're a little bit like that too, that you haven't you know, ultimately found this sort of integrative capacity of making sure that body and soul are just kind of singing or dancing together. And so we're all, I think, kind of learning our way into this a little bit more fully. And I believe in many ways, it's so important for us to be able to uh, find our way to those tethers that tether our sense of body and our experience of body to kind of this more abstract notion of how our soul is unfolding and and the way in which um, there's sort of a connecting place there, particularly given the state of our earth body and our cosmic body and the environment in which we find ourselves. I think expanding our awareness of body and soul is just fantastic and a good way for us to kind of own up to the way in which uh, we are going to link spirit and the wider bodies that we experience. And today I want to share the story of Marjorie, who is, um, Marjorie is a beautiful storyteller, but her body, her body has derailed her from kind of the illusion of a linear life into the requirement of seeing her life as being circular, of repeating itself, of having to start over again and again and again. And so this morning I'm going to invite you to sort of take a break from seeing your life as some sort of linear trajectory, even seeing your spiritual journey, which many of us do, as having some sort of end in mind, right? Whatever that end might be for you or that goal in mind, and rather stop thinking linear and start thinking circular. And see if imagining the way your life is unfolding as a, um, like a here we go round the mulberry bush routine, right? That you're just, you're really got, not going anywhere. You're just going in this beautiful circle. And yeah, your circle might mature and change, but you're revisiting the story of your life again and again through all the seasons that come your way. And sort of the gracefulness and the opportunity and the death and the rebirth that's possible if the ground of your being is seen as sort of that um, cyclical model of life rather than a linear one. And I, to be honest with you, I'm not even sure where we came up with that idea that life is linear. You know, if you think about the way in which the seasons unfold, you think about the way in which the earth works, you think about the way um, life uh, arises and then returns to the earth. It, there is this sense of, um, of a circle that really holds us. And, and many religions have kind of captured that spirituality, but uh, Western Christianity certainly hasn't. We've, we've been more focused on this sort of linear, are you going to get yourself to heaven or some end destination? You know, where are you headed? <laughs> and so I think... Uh, learning how to embrace that notion. Don't think of your life as linear. Think of it as circular. Think of it as going round and round. 
and move beyond maybe this illusion that we're actually going somewhere. And maybe see if that invites you into a different way of thinking. For Marjorie, she was tossed off the, you know, the tracks, so to speak, of linear thinking by no effort of her own. And she readily admits that they were traumatic experiences, all of them, but that both in relationship and in her own body, she was thrust, thrown, cast, if you will, out from the options that are available to you when you think your life is linear, and she's had to start all over again. As Dan and Marjorie sat down together, Marjorie shared the life experiences that provided or created for her an alternate path. Here she shares her experience of family and the health trauma that would have such an effect on her life. Before I had this surgery, yeah. I faced becoming a single mother of two children. Oh my. Which was not expected at all. I'd been married 10 years. It was a marriage of faith and a strong connection. And suddenly everything fell apart. Wow. And I was home with my children. I had to figure out how to support them and still care for them. Yeah. Um, my faith endured through that. It was very shaken. But it endured. I continued in church. And then several years in the middle of that seven-year period, um, one of my children was assaulted mm -hmm. from people in church. And that was the huge crisis of faith. Wow. Where I, it was a he said, she said yeah, yeah. situation, and there was no resolution to it. I ended up leaving that church um, very wounded, uh, reassessing my faith, realizing that I had put my faith in Scripture as opposed to God. Mm -hmm. And that was a huge shift yeah, yeah. for me. Um, I, that was, it was sort of like every seven years, is this what it's going to be? What's next? <laughs> Sorry about that. <laughs> was, I, Your jubilee was, year becomes crisis. Yes. It, it was very daunting. Wow. Uh, and then I discovered that I had a large brain tumor and surgery was imminent. Yeah. Yeah. And that's when waking up from the surgery, um, to everyone's surprise, the right side of my body was totally paralyzed. Wow, wow. What a crazy, I mean, that has to be so disheartening given that you had climbed your way out of <laughs> such a mess and found, you know, sort of a new normal on many different levels as a mom, as a, you know, starting your business. Now you're part of the Episcopal tradition. <laughs> you know, you're thriving on liturgy and then this happens. That's just... um how did, how did you, what was sort of your inner dialogue that was going on when you keep hitting these big seven-year glitches? I mean, is it depression? Is it sadness? Is it? When I found myself paralyzed, I recognized that this was not short-term. Mm -hmm. This was not, though I have regained um, quite a bit of mobility. Mm -hmm. I'm able to walk around my house easily. When I get outside, I use hiking poles yeah. um, just just to keep my balance. Um, falls are a risk. But the whole being able to support myself, I mean, this was a, a major assault yeah. on my body and a long, long recovery and not not I had been house cleaning. Right, you're not doing I, that physical could, work. You know that goodness. Sake. No, yeah. I I was I was exhausted. I was very fatigued and couldn't even climb my stairs, but once a day. Oh my goodness! So um, very very weak, and it was how am I going to support my kids now? Yeah, yeah. Um, I was very angry. Oh, you were. The very first two years had such physical pain, mm. had undiagnosed seizures. I felt so unlistened to. I was point pushed to the edge that my children saved me from just giving up completely. 
um, they gave me a reason to keep going on until I persisted. I went through three neurologists before I found someone who could help me. Wow. And help change medications to help me start learning how to control seizures. Wow. So it you was, were, that was, that's a, that's a pretty dark period to go through. Um, very, very dark. Yeah. I was very angry. And that capacity to kind of restart her life, as painful as that was, taught her to think in terms of a spirituality or a soul's journey that has this sort of um, kind of recycling capacity, right? There's moments of complete loss or death or letting go. And yet then there is a renewed journey to uh, begin again, to start the story over. And while that comes with grief, sorrow, sadness, pain, uh, it is the essence of life as she now sees it for herself. Her first experience of that was a divorce that she did not see coming that left her as um, a single mom raising two kids without a job at the time, right? Having to find a way to make a living, to construct a living that could support her two kids and that she would be the, um, the provider for those children, both financially and emotionally. And so that, that journey was a, uh, one that she hadn't anticipated. She had grown up in patterns of both religious life, uh, relational life that just seemed like they'd keep going on and on and on, right? Like we all do, right? We anticipate that linear nature. And yet life brought her this um, abrupt stopping place. And what do you do when you hit those places, right? You just stop when you know that life has to keep on going. You learn how to reinvite yourself, um, sometimes by an act of will, into the experience of a vibrant life. That first round of being tossed off that kind of um, railroad track of linear thinking was then duplicated again when Marjorie discovered that she had a brain tumor and had to go in for surgery to remove it. The problem was, as she came out of surgery, um, one side of her body was completely paralyzed, and all of the employment that she had constructed. Uh, she was a house cleaner at the time, so uh, all of her work was very physical. Uh, she couldn't, she had no, you know, her mobility issues were compromised. She still had two kids she had to rear, and now she's immobilized. And that abrupt second wave for her was incredibly traumatic. And I think the trauma of it still kind of lives in her, in her being to this day. And so she had to begin again, right? Life again, non-linear, but back to the circle. As Marjorie shared how she became a storyteller, she discovered how the story finds her, how the magic of story appears as she goes round and round the telling of it. I, I recognized that whether I knew it or not, I was a storyteller from way back. My husband calls it meandering, and he, he's more of an engineer. So I, 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 got, I like that point. description. Would you just get to the point? Yeah. <laughs> would you, would you, no, I, I, I I'm really not can't because you, you don't understand the background, and you need to understand. <laughs> you have to set the scene. and. <laughs> That's great. So, um, but I also know that I retell stories a professional storytellers retell stories many, many times yeah. before they get to um, that fine, polished diamond that's um. at the heart of the story. But with each telling, I, the storyteller, am learning something from the story. So it does help if you find other people and don't keep telling the same person yes, over that. and over. They don't have very little patience. Very little patience. For <laughs> I that. get that. Part. So it's good to find. But that is. But you are telling the same story over and over again, <laughs> looking for that. Like, what is the narrative here that is magical? Um, exactly, mm -hmm. and and that takes telling and retelling, but the story tells the teller what the kernel of truth is that only comes with 
having willing listeners. Yeah. The the uh, that gets back to relationship. Yeah. And that the storyteller needs a listener to yeah. be able to find the truth in that story. Yeah, fascinating. And that's not, I mean, you when you started this whole conversation, you were talking about reading those story books back in the day mm-hmm. and that finding even reading them over and over again, allowing that those stories to do the same thing, even as a child. So that's right. obviously been a thread that has been woven through your whole existence. Without, without knowing it. I, I, I didn't recognize it till I was in my 30s and began pursuing the work of literal storytelling yeah. in the storytelling world and performing at libraries and uh, festivals and you know schools and right. and that whole journey um, it it became a, a real serious and financial help yeah, for my right, family right. but but I I pursued it seriously as work yeah I can see and training it as a storyteller Marjorie shared a couple of small stories in my conversation with her. And one was the way in which that feels when um, some overwhelming force tosses you off of your intended trajectory and causes you to um, kind of begin again. She said for her, it was like living on some kind of island and this tsunami would come and simply just wash everything and and for her we mean everything just wash everything away off the island and she said so my journey was to wander around the beach of that island looking in the sand for signs of my recognizable life isn't that beautiful and unnerving and scary but think about that as your soul's journey, walking the island, looking at the, the waterfront, right, where the tsunami came from, trying to find recognizable indications of yourself. And that pattern of living became her lifestyle. That pattern of living became the lifestyle that began to um, help her construct uh, a meaningful life, despite uh, seizures, uh, overwhelming pain, inability to um, have mobility like she anticipated, uh, having to navigate two kids. She would say to me that um, in her story, those moments when you don't think life can go on, um, yet life just asks you to keep it up, right? To keep going. She reminded me once that coming out of a seizure early morning, She's got two kids, and the kids were, you know, deeply compassionate about her health situation. And she'd come out of this seizure, she'd just be a complete wreck. And the kids would say something like, yeah, I know, Mom, I know you're struggling, but, you know, when's breakfast? <laughs> you know, the, here we go around the mulberry bush, Mom. Despite what happens to body, we're invited to keep the journey going, even when we might want it to end. It, it does keep going, right? It invites us, it pulls us, it pushes us sometimes into that experience. So given that framing, I want to spend a few moments reflecting on some of the beautiful insights that she shared around the way, along the way. And I will admit that um, there's no way I can capture some of these insights. I mean, the beauty of this woman's life, her story, uh, and her ability to weave metaphor and language to it was um, such a gift to me that I've been just simply like a round room mulling her wisdom over and over in my own head and thinking about um, how might I and maybe how might you think about cracking away from the illusion of my um, destiny, right? My end point, my goals, and thinking about what am I nurturing as I walk the island? You know, could that be my soul's construct as a little bit more round like that? To help us kind of sink in a little bit more deeply, I want to read a piece of poetry. This is by um, Ted Loader called Turn Spirit Loose. 
And I've modified it just a little bit, but I think it'll help us sink into kind of the character of uh, the story that we're reflecting on today. And then some of the insights that I think um, we will gain together as we spend time um, thinking about Marjorie's uh, story. Turn spirit loose. Turn that spirit loose and me with it. That I may go to where the edge is to face the shape of my mortality, the inescapable struggle and loneliness and pain which all remind me that I am less than God after all. That I live with hard limits, limits to my strength, my knowledge, my days. So grant me grace to live to the limit, the limit of being unflinchingly alive, irrepressibly alive, fully alive of experiencing every fragile, miraculous, bloody, juicy, aching, beautiful ounce of being a human being. Turn spirit loose and me with it. As Marjorie struggled to try to manifest some sort of um, path in the midst of this kind of mindset that she was given and soul's journey that was kind of foisted upon her because of these tragedies that kind of threw her into that condition, she began to attach herself to a couple of um, thinkers that she thought helped her along the way, and they were contemplatives. What I didn't realize until I was an adult was it was actually the contemplative spirit that had been drawing me oh. all along. I did not come from that tradition. I was in a Presbyterian Baptist, relatively fundamental church growing up. Yeah. Uh, I went to college. There was a Christian college in that. It, it was pretty consistent, but had more intellectual uh, a foundation, which I was looking for, giving me ways to better articulate the faith that I had. But it was not until uh, I came across Thomas Merton's mm -hmm. The Seven Story Mountain yes. that it really resonated. And I, I said, oh, my goodness, here I am, a married mother, a nursing mother of a young child. And here, my, this is such an amazing connection with a silent, um, celibate Trappist monk. <laughs> it was just... You lived uh, in a completely different it, world than you were living in at the time, clearly. Very much, and yet all that he wrote about really connected with the way that I had been experiencing my faith, the writings of C.S. Lewis, mm -hmm. all of those things that look into the personal... God reflect, you know, connecting on a, a real personal level that I just kept saying, yep, I know that. Yeah, if you yep, trace back, that. so you, so have you stumbled into realizing the contemplative soul that you were, and you looked back, what were, do you, re, did you start to realize, oh yeah, that's where, you know, I, whether it be your childhood or wherever it was, that that little contemplative spirit was starting to find its legs all along? I think so. From, from I was in fifth grade and my parents had a 10 volume set of Bible stories. Mm -hmm. I read through them twice. Oh, my goodness. I loved the stories. They had they had sort of moralistic yeah. last paragraphs. I just skimmed over them when I when I read them later as an adult, I said, oh, there's so much moralism <laughs> in here. And all I took from them as a. 10 year old was the story. Yeah. The power of the story. C.S. Lewis, uh, Thomas Merton, uh, people who spent their energy not just um, adopting a religious paradigm for both C.S. Lewis and um, Thomas Merton, uh, 
did not start their journey as religious people, but found their way there in seeking to be more, you know, alive or connected to life. And both grounded their journey in this um, sense of what it means to really be human. Here's a quote, a um, little um, description out of a book uh, about Thomas Merton. And Merton was um, realizing that he was making the mistake as he began his religious journey of kind of looking for his sense of God in these kind of extraordinary phenomena or even visions to the point where he had gone to Cuba uh, looking for the appearance of um, the Virgin Mary, right? So he's sort of looking for this indicator that there is some truth to the matter. And now he reflects in his autobiography that the better journey is to seek the creative presence of the Spirit in the stuff of everyday life. To seek the Spirit journey in my genes, in my culture's glories and limitations, in daily circumstances. That the sacred is revealed in human life and in his particular human life, which then manifested in his autobiography, the one that was his life and the one that is yours. Thomas Merton's famous autobiography is called uh, Seven Story Mountain. I don't know if you've read that autobiography. It's a little clunky as far as an autobiography goes. And I remember the first time I read through that, I was thinking that the goal was to get to the top of the mountain, right? It's a seven-story mountain. And that the real goal that Merton was working on was to somehow arrive at the top of the mountain. But that wasn't the point of this autobiography at all. The point of the autobiography is more about how you do backpacking, right? You just keep going round and round the mountain. And the journey is this round and round the mountain. And what Thomas Merton will say and continue to say before his early death is you don't get to the top. You just get to keep going round and round and round. And every round brings you some deeper insight into who you are, uh, who you might be becoming, uh, insights from other traditions and cultures and even religious experiences that are accumulated along the way. And that what Merton would ultimately find, I think, in the writing of Seven Story Mountain is that, and this is what I want you to think about today too, whether you be at home or sitting here, is that can autobiography be your theology? Think about putting those two things together. Can autobiography be theology? That the story of you is the story of however you frame God birthing God's self in you. And that, that's, that your story is the story just is such a beautiful, um, what would you call it, like commitment or trust in this idea of a, of a God present or a God incarnate in the stuff of every day, right? That could I imagine that my story, and this is, I think, um, this is what Marjorie kind of fell into, that her story, despite all of its pains and setbacks, her autobiography is her theology, is the story of God emerging in her life. And so how does she construct this kind of idea of um, her own story as her path, her own walk around the island as her search for God. I just love that imagery, right? Just think about that. Your walk around is your search for God. I have been changed. Yeah. Uh, at one point, someone asked, if you could go back to your old life, would you? And I immediately said no. Yeah, interesting. Because I would have to give up all of the growth yeah. that has come through those terribly difficult... Would I like to have avoided? <laughs> sure. Sure. I would have liked to have been a, avoided a lot of the physical pain, yeah. the emotional pain, the spiritual pain. But I recognize that those became 
tools that pushed me through Mm -hmm. to places that I would not have willingly gone. I talk about going, kicking, and screaming. I, I was I would have loved to go gracefully. Yeah. <laughs> I would have loved to felt have felt graceful through the t- those times. I was not. Yeah. It didn't feel that way. Mm. It still doesn't feel that way. Yeah. That's a great reflection. <laughs> but you can get there kicking and screaming as well as getting there gracefully, it sounds like. Which, evidently. Yeah, <laughs> evidently. Did you? But it gives me more compassion for other people I, who are yeah, struggling. Yeah, I was going to say, if you had, so when and, they frame that question, if you had to say, well, um, you know, for people who don't experience the kind of the agonizing transitions that you've gone through, how do you think, because you, you like you said, you've kind of been not forced, but these have been uh, almost like birth channels that you you get squeezed through in order to refine your new self on the other side. But that that transition is a painful one for mom and you, right? So there's a lot of a lot of mm-hmm. uh, trauma when, going when through I, those. But for when, people who don't I experience hear... trauma, how have you? Is there a way for them to? Are there parts of what you've discovered now going through the kicking and screaming process that you could advise <laughs> people to say, well, you should really pay attention to this? <laughs> sure. When I when I hear people say, well, why complain? It doesn't do any good. Yeah. And I always answer with, oh, I, I love to complain. It always makes me feel better. <laughs> and it makes them laugh just yes. like you're laughing. But that's the point. Yeah is that when you're sitting there saying, why bother? If you can find laughter, if you can find a way to laugh in the midst of life's absurdities, you're going to keep moving. Yeah. Because laughter is life-giving. Yeah, interesting. Yeah, and those are lessons that you've learned the hard way, obviously. Um, <laughs> but you've learned them. My yeah. guess is they're they they're hopefully you don't have another seven year hiccup, but you're but you've <laughs> learned them enough to where maybe they are now kind of maturing in a different way as you kind of found a, a kind of a balance point in your life. I, I hope so. Yeah. I also know there are no guarantees. Yeah. And though I try to be philosophical, I'm not a martyr. Yeah. And I understand that life has challenges that we don't get to pick yeah yeah. and nobody gets out of here alive right (laughs) that's true how has so a couple things too that i had in my notes that i wanted to hear from you a little bit is um one is sort of relationship based well they're both relationship based was one is relationships to other people sort of your relationships to your your new partner, your husband, current husband, maybe your kids. How has this journey changed the way in which you show up for relationship? And then the other one is relationship to the natural world. What what is it about your relationship to the natural world now that you really feel has got that healing component that you've been able to nurture? So just kind of some comments on how this journey has shaped both those kinds of relationships to people and to the planet, so to speak. I spent 20 years as a single parent. I spent a lot of time learning how to express my needs and express my feelings. Lots of time with counselors, various counselors, doing the work, Mm -hmm. learning, um, because whenever... I I have real ups and downs, and when I'm feeling good, I feel like I'm always going to feel good. And when I feel low, I feel like I'm always going to feel low. And it has really helped to get out of my own echo chamber to get someone else's perspective Mm -hmm. and be able to listen to trusted others to keep that perspective so that I don't go down into those wells or the unrealistic expectations so after 20 years or so of that my children were out of the house when i met the man who's now my husband right i met him contra dancing that's great (laughs) and 
he, I, I just right away said, here's the challenges. If you're interested, here's the upfront. It's not going away. If you're afraid now, don't bother. Yeah. Just go on. And he didn't run away. Mm-hmm. And he said, she's here dancing. She's smiling. She's telling me all this, but she's still smiling. Yeah. I want to know more. Mm-hmm. And that was the foundation that we began our relationship with. And 15, almost 16 years wow, later, we've been impressive. married. Yeah. And um, for better or worse, did I know what was I get, getting into? Not really. Did he know what he was really getting into? Not really. Yeah. And we have persevered. Mm-hmm. And he's a wonderful support. But I've also recognized our marriage is quite mutual. Whether on the outside people realize it or not, uh, I give as much as he does. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Different things. Right. Different different ways, but we're pretty well matched, though it does not appear to outsiders that that might be the case. Yeah, interesting. So there's a, there's, um, so it sounds like this establishment of one of the ways in which relationships are healing for you or this one in particular is sort of you both you both show up fully for each other clearly um it's not just like you've got a partner who's helping you out it's definitely reciprocal um, i, I also I, have a different expectation of relationships hmm. i always felt like i was the one who was needy it's part of what i feared hmm. so much and having been through these deep deep troughs and having to make my peace that everyone is needy at some time in our lives mm-hmm. when we're born when we're young children as we're dying in the midst of unexpected life cir- circumstances we all have needs mm-hmm. and it's okay and so rather than finding that as a source of shame it's become a sense of self-forgiveness and an expectation that close relationships need to be mutual or I don't have the energy for them. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I can do some giving, but I can't do all the giving because I I just have physical limits that make it so I can't pretend that that's what I need to do. Hmm. That's that's impressive. I'm not sure everybody reaches that because we... um, (laughs) I think you have that wisdom. That's unique wisdom to carry into relationship because we all want to be the heroes in relationships or, you know what I mean? We, uh, we think we're invincible. And so we're going to be the ones who always got our shit together, so to speak. Um, It's a faith. It's a step of faith to put our feet on the floor out of bed every single day. Will the floor hold us up? Will the car driving past me not hit me head on? Mm -hmm. Every step we take, whether we recognize it or not, is a step of faith. Mm-hmm. And how, so I, I love the way that's manifested for you in that context. How about with the natural world? Since you've obviously, you know, your book is about getting out into nature and you talk about it being such a healing source. How has it sort of taken on an identity in your mm-hmm. um the way in which you embrace life or it embraces you. What's your sense of that? So, you know, a lot of metaphor. Yeah, yeah. Um, oak trees, um, a lot of their leaves hold on mm. through the winter mm. and they don't let go until spring pushes those leaves off. Mm. So they sit through the coldest of winter and hang on. Yeah. And in the midst of that, just meditating on that metaphor um i had a conversation with god that just came out and brought and and that's in the book yeah as well of of um my hurt my pain my want wanting to give up and god's voice over and over countering each of those with i am with you mm-hmm. no i haven't abandoned you I've been with you every step of the way and don't give up and you feel like giving up but I will keep telling you the story as long as you will listen 
Here is Dan sharing his final insights after his conversation with Marjorie. One of the things that I think um, she was doing, and she didn't articulate it this way, but um, was really what integral theory is all about. And if you study a little bit of integral theory, I've done enough study to not know what I'm talking about. So um, I'll disclose my full knowledge of integral theory. But integral theory uh, is a little bit like that, right? It thinks about um, your becoming as this spiraling effect that every time you go around the circle, you're building capacity and you never you never leave the early circles behind, like the rings of a tree, right? They stay inside of you. And then the rings continue to form. But you hold all the rings as you move forward. So you're, you're trying to revisit your story in ways that you're learning from your own story, that your story is guiding you, that the rings of your life are the, um, the unfolding, unwinding expression of all that you think is sacred is happening in your own life, right? In your own tree trunk, in your own circles. And there's just something beautiful about that. So I, I think Marjorie was on to that idea that, um, that as she faced this capacity or requirement to start over and over again, she was relearning every time who she was at a, at a level that maybe she wouldn't have had access to um, otherwise. One of the things that um, she learned along the way is um, as she experienced her own religious life, she migrated from one religious tradition into another. And she left a religious tradition that, I don't know if you'd call it personality-based, but it was more um, strongly rooted to kind of um, reflecting on the texts and kind of trusting yourself to a particular point of view and then she moved into a religious tradition that was more liturgical-based. And for those of you who know what liturgical-based religions are, it is like a circle, right? There's this uh, repeating pattern every year inside of the religious institution that you go round and round and round. And I think what she was discovering is that she was attracted to that pattern because the same language would be repeated over and over and over again. Here we go round the mulberry bush one more time. Sometimes you're hurting enough that you wish it would all end, but here we go round again. And that constant cycle, liturgical cycle, it invites you to find yourself within, inside of it, right? And to, to not think you can get out of it or change or move off to somewhere else, but you're gonna be in this um, uh, like cyclical experience over and over again. And to the point where she began to realize as a storyteller that the same is true with the stories that she would tell. That she would tell them, and these are stories about her own life or her experiences, but she would tell them again and again and again until the story found itself and, it's still, and maybe even until the story began to find her. But she would, in a sense, intimate to me that even though she was constructing the story, the story was also um, giving her something, right? Looking for her. That the story itself, in the telling of it, helps you find yourself because the story is trying to find you. It, like, it works both ways. To the point where sometimes her current husband would tell her, look, Margie, would you just get to the point? And she said, no, I don't, I'm not getting to the point. I'm just going to meander in this story until this story finds me. Maybe the story was walking the island as well. It's almost like trusting that your story will help you find the way. A beautiful way, I think, uh, to think about our spiritual lives. The last kind of image that jumped into my head is, um, I talked about Margie that I want to leave you with today, is... Um, you know, we, in, in many religious traditions and in the Hebrew tradition, maybe even in the Christian tradition, um, the narratives oftentimes invite us to think that there is an end result. You think about the children of Israel leaving Egypt and going to the promised land. You know, it did have that sense of a, of a linear character to it, of uh, Jesus going from his hometown uh, all the way to Jerusalem. Paul 
going to Rome. I mean, you get these senses of there is this sort of linear timeline that works with religion, but there's also embedded in those um, unfolding stories the truth of what we've discovered by paying attention to Marjorie's story. And the one I think of most is the night when Jacob, and you might not know the story, but uh, Jacob and his family are traveling, and Jacob is the one who's ultimately going to be renamed Israel. So this is where the name Israel comes from. And the word Israel means to wrestle or to contend with God. So that's, that's what Israel means, right? So he's going to get the name Israel. He sends his family ahead. It's night, and he wants to go to sleep, right? And, you know, he's on a journey, so he probably needs his rest. But instead of sleeping, he spends the entire night wrestling with this angel, with this being that some interpreters think is an angel, some thinks are a man in a dream, some would go as far as to say he's wrestling with God. And in the wrestling with God, uh, Jacob uh, is, is um, what would it got injured, right? He, he, his hip, his hip is thrown out of place in this big wrestling match. His, the wrestling match takes place by this, uh, all the language in the story is, is crooked language. It's bent language. It's broken language. He is being broken in his wrestling match with the sacred. And that capacity for being broken and having a wobbling path forward is what comes out of this wrestling match. And I think sometimes we think that this idea of the spiritual life is going to bring us all of this like positive energy, but in reality, it's, it's like inviting you to these breaking places so that you're going to hobble your way into a, a more fuller expression of self. It's not always beautiful. It's not always precious. It's not always um, sensational. Sometimes it's a breaking journey. And the story of Jacob becoming Israel is a perfect example of that. For Marjorie, she now walks with a limp on those island seashore sand experience, right, looking for recognizable signs of her life. And that is the journey that she is on. And as she walks, she allows her story to go with her to the point where her story itself begins to give her a sense of who she might be and allows her, if you will, capability to be there for others, for her kids, for her spouse, to be fully engaged. But it comes with all of that, um, the ache of loss, the memory of a, of a life that had to be set aside because the tsunami came. That's all present for her, but yet she continues to plow her way forward. Think, maybe think of your life, not as a line. Can you think of your life like a circle? And if you too are wandering the island shoreline, looking for signs of yourself, can you trust that your autobiography, right, your story is your theology, is your journey into the very heart of the sacred, and that that story is looking for you as well, that that story will find you along the way if you're willing to hold it long enough to move around it again and again and again so that it kind of finds its way into the deepest parts of who you are. As we've thought about the soul's journey in this conversation that we've had, adding that kind of characteristic to your journey, I think it, I think it could, I think it could in a sense um, bring some calmer awareness to those points in our lives when we think, I'm not sure we're getting anywhere. Because maybe that's not the point. <laughs> I'm not sure I'm getting better at this. Maybe that's not the point. I remember when I had this job, I thought I would be, by this time, I'd be like super pastor. 
And I, I haven't achieved that, right? I, I haven't achieved anything that I've set out to do, frankly. But maybe that's not the point. Maybe life is this beautiful circle. And how do we find the wonder and mystery unfolding inside of that? One last time for that piece of poetry. Turn spirit loose. Turn that spirit loose and me with it that I may go to where the edge is to face the shape of my mortality, the inescapable struggle, the loneliness, the pain, which remind me that I am less than God after all, that I live with hard limits, limits to my strength, my knowledge, even my days. And so grant me a little grace to live to the limit of being unflinchingly alive, irrepressibly alive, fully alive, of experiencing every fragile, miraculous, bloody, juicy, aching, beautiful ounce of being a human being. Turn that spirit loose and me with it. It's hard to imagine that there may not be a clear destination that awaits as you put one step in front of the other on your own spiritual path. But Marjorie has come to a place where she can throw herself headlong into the mix while weaving in all her moments of challenge, beauty, wonder, anger, loss, and love. Somewhere in it all, a story is born, her story, a guiding story. We hope this conversation has provided you the time to embrace some of the challenges you have faced along the way. How have you woven them into the story your soul is trying to tell? In our next episode, Dan expands on the wisdom Marjorie shared as he moves through a few stories that explore the ways we find our way into a life of meaning. Join us. This episode of Soul Forum has been brought to you by Storycatcher for iPhone, a fun and simple tool that helps you create shareable keepsake video stories. Be the documentarian in your circles. Find Storycatcher, spelt as all one word, on the Apple App Store. You may attend Soul Forum Live each Sunday morning at Creekside Commons in Lafayette, California. The 30-minute presentation is also live-streamed via YouTube and Facebook, where people interact via the chat. After the live stream is complete, for those gathering in person, we then enter into a non-recorded group discussion on the day's topic. We'd love for you to join us for Soul Forum.